This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 119 for March 2018 with Chris Honholtz on Proper Perspectives. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 119 for March 2018 with Chris Honholtz. Chris is a parole and probation officer in Fernley, Nevada, which is near Reno, and host of another podcast uh, in my lineup called Voice of Reason. And he does that with friend Richard Story. Great show. He'll talk about that a little bit during the show. But he joins me for this episode for a friendly discussion about maintaining a proper perspective in life through a myriad of various context and circumstances. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we've referenced during the show for your own deeper study, and when appropriate, lists of additional resources on the subject, as well as related episodes from the Echozoi Radio archives. You can find the show notes for this one at echozoe.com slash 119. With that, here's my discussion with Chris. Chris Honholtz, a good friend of mine through social media and a fellow podcaster. It's great to have you on to do a show with you today. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, uh, it's it's always fun to get a, an opportunity to spend time with uh, other uh, brothers who, who are doing this stuff on, on the air and helping edify others. And so I, I greatly appreciate being invited. And I want to talk, uh, maybe before we get started on our topic at hand, um, we're going to talk about, this is, I, I kind of warned you beforehand, and I'm going to warn the listeners now that, that um, we're, we're friends. We've been friends online. We've never met face-to-face. Uh, -face. I've never gotten to shake your hand, but we've been, <laughs> we've been online friends for several years now. And um, so when I'm on with friends, I tend to be more informal than, say, uh, the last episode I did, which hasn't actually posted, I'm going to post it later today, uh, Costi Hinn. Um, I don't know Costi, and Costi is uh, kind of doing the circuit, pushing his book and telling his story, and he's doing a great thing, but um, the nature of that relationship is I need to be a little more formal. So this will be on the more informal side, and then we're just kind of two guys talking, and we're going to talk about uh, keeping kind of pro proper perspectives in life. And um, so it's just going to be, uh, two guys chatting and, uh, so feel free to listen in on us as we chat today. But, uh, let's start with your work. I want to talk about like who you are. Um, mm -hmm. I know you through Twitter, but what do you do on your day to day life? And then, uh, 
And then let's also, you've got a podcast too. I, <laughs> so. Yeah, I do. Um, actually, I, uh, I'm a husband of, uh, we're coming up on 17 years uh, being married. We're married in September of 2001. Uh, we have two Congrats. boys, uh, 13 and, and who's actually almost 14 going on 25 some days uh, <laughs> and, uh, and a preteen who's uh, about 12 and a half who is trying to figure out whether he's still kid or is growing up. So we're in that awkward phase. Mm -hmm. And so half, half our days are spent trying not to duct tape them to the, to the walls. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and we're a homeschooling and family. My wife has done that. I don't so. mean to cut you off, but sure. this is going to be part of our discussion. I want to talk about this as we get moved on, but, <laughs> but sorry to cut you off back to your no, family. No, no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And so we're, we've, we've been homeschooling for all that time. Um, my wife, uh, God bless her. She's, she's put up with a lot and, and she even was, she's tougher than me. And, and, and I've been in the military and I've uh, been in law enforcement for 19 years. And, um, she, she homeschooled while going through, uh, through breast cancer treatment. So I, I consider wow. her to be even more, more tough That's than I am. Cause at least I get to deal with criminals with handcuffs and a taser. She has to put up <laughs> with my two boys with neither. So, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so I, but uh, I, uh, uh, I live in northern Nevada. I got uh, went to high school here, went to college at the University of Nevada, Reno, got a Bachelor of Arts in uh, criminal justice, served with the Nevada Army National Guard from uh, 1996 to 2004 as a lieutenant. I was a tanker, which meant I got to run around in an M1A1 Abrams and blow stuff up with a 120 millimeter cannon. Cool. Hoo uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it was it was great time. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I had served with some of the, the, the best people I could imagine they made my job easy and learned a lot about leadership was which a lot of it entailed learning to trust the men beneath me because they knew their job and I didn't mm -hmm. uh, as a brand new lieutenant and uh, I've spent 19 years in law enforcement as a, uh, a parole and probation officer for the state of Nevada which basically means I supervise people who are on probation which is if you get convicted or you're put on some sort of diversion uh, supervision, you come to me and uh, you, you can serve that time out of custody and meet a whole list of requirements for the court. Or you come out on parole, which means, you know, you were given a sentence and you can give it an earlier release if you're under supervised. Uh, and it's the same thing. You have to list the conditions that you have to meet. And so that's what I've been doing for uh, for 19 years now. I'm looking at uh, down the barrel of uh, retirement in about six, six years, which I'm wow. in some ways looking very much forward to. <laughs> You're too young uh, to be thinking about retirement. Believe it or not, I'm going to hit be 44 next week. So, well, um, I just turned 40. You're not that much older than me, and <laughs> and, and to, th to think about I'm I'm way too young. Well, I, I mean, I'm a stay at home dad, so I'm not thinking retirement. Like, I'm, <laughs> you don't get retirement. I don't get retirement. <laughs> but you know, I, I think about my wife, who's the one that's working long hours every day, every week, and and uh, and her perspective. Uh, uh, retirement too. And, and, and it's just, uh, man, I would love to give that to her today if I could, but yeah, uh, I just, we're too young. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very fortunate in that working for the state, uh, at the time when I hired is they had, I think it's changed a little bit, but at the time I got hired in January of 99, uh, you, you could do 25 years and out. And it's, it's not like the full 75% of your pay that you would get. It's probably going to be closer to 72, 73, something like that, but it's going to be sufficient that I can go do something else and, um, you know, be able to, to 
still provide for my wife and by then the kids will be out. I told them if they want to go to college, they're going to have to get a scholarship because <laughs> yeah. you don't make enough in law enforcement to, to put two kids through college. So, um, but we're, we're training them up to at least, you know, uh, hopefully if that's the direction they want to go, they, uh, they'll be able to do that. But, uh, and then as you said, I, I do a podcast with my friend Richard's story, a voice of reason radio. We've been doing that for has to be about a year and a half or so now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not and, your first uh, podcast. You've done, you did a few others no. too. No, I did uh, the first podcast I was on was I was um, mandatorily required to volunteer. Um, <laughs> 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 I, it, I worked with Tony Miano on Cross Encounters Radio, and what had happened is he had he had. That man has done so many podcasts. He started and <laughs> changed. I started to lose track. I gotta be honest with you. I love the man to death. Mm-hmm. Um, he was start looking to start this Cross Encounters radio show, and he and I have a shared background in, in law enforcement. And he was looking for a co-host. And all I did was hit the like button. I, I didn't even <laughs> I, I didn't even volunteer because I don't know the first thing about this kind of stuff. Um, and so. Next thing I know, he's going, yeah, Chris, I, I was hoping you would like it. Hint, hint. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, well, why didn't you? Uh, oh, um, let me, well, the computer I got barely limps. Let me go find one, a new one. <laughs> and um, I ended up uh, running the the chat room and the soundboard for good. Uh, that was primar- primary, uh, my primary job. And I, I, I took on the name Chatman because we did it through uh, Blog Talk Radio, which was a live uh, broadcast, and it actually had a chat room that people would come in and interact. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to keep control <laughs> of a room full of people who, a lot of times, didn't always want to s- stick to the topic we were discussing. And mm-hmm. uh, and and then you, we had a live call in line, which one day I don't know how it happened, but I think they were just an atheist group looking for anybody that was a Christian show and they started calling in with some of the weirdest stuff. And so I'm trying to screen it and I'm beginning to realize, you know, I I understand what's going on. And it was a mass call in one right after the other. And I didn't even hear what was going on on the radio program because I'm basically booting every one of the calls coming in. And that's, but that's what I did with uh, Tony for, it must've been about three and a half, four years that we did that. And, um, when he would be out on conferences or he would be out at outreaches, uh, Richard Story, who was also the uh, was the, the the third leg of that stool for uh, the three of us, he and I would take over and we would do some program or something or other. And so when uh, there was a point where I, I had stepped down just for I had personal things that I, I was addressing and then eventually Cross Encounters had, had, uh, had closed up shop, Rich and I about a year later started trying to kick around an idea of starting another another show and we ended up uh, eventually settling on voice of reason radio and we've been doing that like i said for over a year now probably close to a year and a half mm-hmm. and uh we really enjoy doing it we don't have a huge uh following but we have some very faithful listeners and um it's it's a blessing because what we try to do you talked about at the beginning of this is the, a very informal talk between two friends that's basically what voice of reason radio is mm-hmm. is we are just two guys we're not seminary trained we're not scholars we're not you know uh, uh fantastic theologians of a high order we just we love the bible we love christ we love the body of christ and um what we try to do is just the two of us will t- pick a topic and we'll hash that out for an hour and try to look at it from a biblical perspective because w- what we want people to do if the takeaway from every program is to 
when you're looking at life, you need to be looking at it through a biblical lens, not through the lens of news, not through the lens of politics, not through the lens of your emotions, but what does God's word have to say? And that should be how you focus your decisions in life. And so we hope if we've done anything right, we've hoped that's what we've accomplished with it. Cool. So I think, yeah, we were going to talk about like keeping proper perspectives and we came up with a short bullet point list of possible ways we could uh, dive into that different forks Mm -hmm. in the road we could go down and stuff. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I, you, you made a, a little comment, a little offhanded comment about your podcast and you said something about a small audience. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's an interesting thing to bring up because as if we're going to talk about proper perspectives, I mean, that's something mm-hmm. that all of us podcasters go through is, um, you know, it's tempting to think about looking at the stats and seeing how many people are downloading this show and stuff. But um, that's, that's a good place to start with perspective. And, um, mm-hmm. Something I've dealt with for I'm coming up on ten years. Actually, next next episode after this one will be 120, which on a on a monthly show, twelve you know once a month, twelve times a year, 120 is is ten years, and um, it's definitely been on my mind to some degree the whole time. And but um, wh- what do you do with that perspective? Like when you, I mean you you threw it out there, but like mm-hmm. wh- what? What's going through your head when you think about things like um, audience size on a podcast? Well, I think your your first statement is that that temptation to want to see bigger numbers because that you want to know that you're just not speaking to no one. You know, if if I did a podcast and nobody listened to it, what would be the point of it? Right. Mm -hmm. So you want people to listen to it. But I one of the things Rich and I determined very early on when we started the program was the numbers weren't going to drive what we did because I used to I've written blog articles uh, for my my own page. And at one time I was with a, a, a site that actually I guess today we would kind of call it a discernment blog. But I got recruited to to write more like evangelism type stuff. And if if you looked at numbers on, say, that blog site, you could see which articles would drive the hits. Mm-hmm. And the the really blood in the water chum, you know, spreading articles, that's the ones where you would see the most amount of comments, the most uh, shares, the most hits. And there's a temptation to do to to follow that path because you want to reach people. Yeah. And uh, and so you you might feel the urge to. Well, this one, you know, I wrote this one on on how to uh, to to be holy and how to follow Christ more closely. And then this one, I was talking about a a really bad false teacher. And this one is the one that got all the hits and not the holiness article. So maybe yeah. I'll drift away from that. And it, can, it there's a temptation to do that because you want to reach more people. I, I don't think there's necessarily a bad desire to reach as many people as possible, but mm-hmm. it can drive how you think and how you tailor what you, what you're going to say. And so when we start a voice of reason radio, we made, we made a determination early on. It didn't matter matter if it was five people, 50 people or 500, God was the one in charge of who we were going to get. Yep. And so do we promote it? Sure. We put the stuff out on Twitter and Facebook. Um, we we uh, recently even had an opportunity, a, a rich uh, story. He he got a hold of some Facebook credit, I guess, somehow <laughs> okay. and used it to to promote our most recent one, because it's like, you know, you got to pay money if you want to promote one of your ads on Facebook. So he got a, you know, it was, it was yeah, like, free like credit I can't even <laughs> post a uh, podcast without Facebook telling me, Hey, this is doing well. You should, uh, you should promote it and, and yeah, so we can get money from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 uh, 
I uh, I think I tried it once years ago. I thought, well, I'll just see, you know, just yeah. experiment. I don't really, I, I didn't really care all that much what happened. I just was curious what would happen. And, yeah. and it really didn't do much, to be honest. No, you know? it, 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 I think the folks that'll, you'll see it make the most difference are the folks who plunk some serious money into it and can, then it goes everywhere. But we just, we decided that. We wanted it to be about two things. Number one, we were glorifying God. And number two, we were uh, edifying the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the most we can ever do that in that capacity is as a tertiary resource because the, the, the local church, the local pastors, that's that's where your, your, your uh, body of Christ, that's where that uh, edification really should be happening. And it should be the people in that body edifying one another. That's what scripture tells us. Yeah. So. I, th- we're just a secondary or even a tertiary resource that you yep. can come along and listen to and hope to be built up with. Mm-hmm. So if we could just accomplish those two things, we were thrilled. Th- that doesn't mean that we aren't tempted. I mean, I've seen some guys start starting up their own podcast recently, and these are guys who have a nice following on Twitter and have great respect for these guys and the excitement that gets generated because they started something and it's like – Wow, I never saw that kind of excitement when I said I was doing something. <laughs> and you, you kind of want to hang your head and put your hat up on the coat, you know, coat rack and go yeah. uh, close everything up because it's like, wow, these guys are going to get tons of followers, and I'm just barely limping along here. So it's it's. But you, I you're think just, the only I think you just got done describing like the right perspective to have, though. Yeah. So I think it, it. Yeah. I mean, human nature. We're gonna. Yeah. I I think I know who you're talking about, and and. Um, <laughs> It is it it is easy to get a little jealous, but mm-hmm. um, but I, I, you know I've always kind of had a similar mindset to you, and um, you know my show depends on guests. I always do guests, so I'm always I, I I'm never really driven by like how well known is the guest. I mean, it's great mm-hmm. to have a guest that everybody in the world has heard of, right? But, and and I'll do that from time to time if I if I get an opportunity. But I'm also happy to have you know somebody who teaches Bible study at my church come in and be a guest too. You know, and talk about something they did at at, uh, at the adult Sunday school a couple of weeks ago and stuff too. Because and it's more about the topic and the fact that well they know the topic and they they did the Sunday school because they they studied it. And uh, so we talk about the numbers. You know, whether it's dozens or a few hundred or even in a you know a few thousand you and I are in a similar niche as far as podcasts go. And, and it's a small niche and it, it that's just the nature of being on the more reformed side and mm-hmm. being Christian and being theological. We're gonna have, there's a, there's a small pool to draw from. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're kind of competing to a sense with each other. Not necessarily that like, Hey, Chris, I want to make sure you don't steal audience from me. You know, I, I, that doesn't bother me, but, um, but we're, we are sort of competing in that people only have so many listening hours in a day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, if they're going to listen to me, that might mean that they don't get a chance to listen to, you know, the, the guys who just started this show that we were talking about and stuff. But, um, and it, it, and, and with that said, I, I do think, you know, like I said, I really want to emphasize that, that, that the competition isn't, um, isn't a driving force at all. You know, that, that, um, I enjoy, um, promoting and helping my, my fellow mm-hmm. podcasters, my, the brethren in these, in very small ministries that are just trying to, 
get into God's word and glorify the Lord through, uh, through discussion of various theological topics and whatnot. But, uh, but as far as audience size, one thing that I've always kept in mind is that because I'm, I'm guest driven, um, I, I kind of keep things, especially because I started 10 years ago and podcasting wasn't quite as big back then. I've always kind of compared it to things like that Bible study at church or, mm-hmm. or a church service or a conference or, and I'm not talking like shepherd's conference where you get 5,000 or 10,000 people come from around the country, but, but the smaller like local conference where you might have 300 or 400 people show up. And, and that's kind of always where I've wanted to keep my perspective as far as those numbers go that, you know, if somebody's willing to fly in from another part of the country to speak to two or 300 people, they're probably going to be open to coming on, you know, like you're doing with right now with Skype and, and just having a, an hour long discussion. They don't have to leave their home and talking to a similar audience size and stuff. And, but uh, I think the other thing that I was thinking about as you're describing that is, is like those uh, numbers that you can chase and how tempting that can mm-hmm. be for some people. It never really tempted me to be honest. Like I, it was nice having, uh, occasionally I'll have a very well-known guest on and I'll see the numbers spike and I'll think, Oh, that's, that was fun. You know, how many are going to come back? But, but I've seen so many other ministries come along that, that, um, start off pretty solid and then you watch them and then they, they realize that, Oh, there's like, you call it chum over there mm-hmm. and they can chase that. And then, and it, and it just kind of really destroys their, they, they end up with the wrong perspective and it destroys their ministry in my opinion, as far as like, what they're all about. I mean, they end up realizing that, well, we get more followers when we go after false teachers. So Mm -hmm. then they run out of false teachers to go after. So then they go after solid teachers that maybe aren't teaching things quite the right way. Uh, And then you notice like the circle gets smaller and smaller. And next thing you know, they're kind of attacking their own. And and that that's been a real big problem. I, it was one of the things that I began as I began getting involved in po- uh, blogging and podcasting, uh, the issue that I began to see. And it's always been a challenge for me because sometimes it comes from people I respect when I begin to see stuff like that. And if you say anything, um, you can be perceived as defending something that's bad. Yeah. And and so you can get lumped in even if that's not what you were doing. Yep. And it just becomes it and it's one of the unfortunate sides of social media because so much of what we do with podcasting and blogging is all social media driven. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past you would have to specifically go looking for uh, an article or a topic with the internet to get something. Um but with the advent of things like uh, Facebook and Twitter, where you have the ability to share these links, so much of it is driven around getting that social media presence. And the more that we do that and the more we interact with each other on those issues, the more it gets reduced to kind of soundbite thinking. Yeah. You know, be, who, who can – it used to be you know, Twitter was 140 characters and now it's 280. But even with 280, it's still a very – you don't get really sound thinking. You can just get a little bit more words in to make it cl- sound cleaner. And it's reduced to who can throw the – the barbs back and forth the the quickest and yeah. if, and if and facebook you can have huge debates because they don't have that limit character limitation but it's this it can become this free-flowing nightmare of comments 
And so you're trying to address one thing and somebody else jumps in and throws in another and then another person. And then you're still addressing person A and person B and C go, oh, see, you don't. You didn't uh, even you address, address my you question. You didn't address my, address my question. So therefore yeah. you can't answer it. Therefore you're this. And it's the more you chase that presence, the more you chase trying to get though that attention for your blog or for your podcast, the more the temptation is not to be sound in your thinking and sound in your argumentation, the more mm-hmm. it can be reduced to bumper sticker thinking, bullet yeah. points and 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 uh you know and, and uh just small what's the smallest amount of information I can get out and still stick it right to you. Yeah. And that's what that's what we've wanted to avoid with uh, with our program of Voice Series Radios, we didn't want to have just bullet point thinking. Mm-hmm. We we wanted people. It didn't matter what the numbers were. We wanted people to think through an issue as biblically as even if you didn't agree with our conclusion. Did you think through it biblically? Did you think about what does Scripture say on this issue before you move forward? If you did, then we're doing what we're supposed to. Yeah. And, and, and things end up being so much calmer when you do that too. And mm-hmm. in so many ways, it's just like, you know, you and I, uh, encounter often online where we'll talk about an issue and, and people have different perspectives, but we have, you know, kind of in our, our circle, people will bounce things around and say, well, this, this is the scriptural reason why I take this side. And someone says, oh, this mm-hmm. is the scriptural reason why I take that side. And, and, and when they're coming back and forth scripturally and say, um, no, I have a reason and, and it, right or wrong, at least it's biblically grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and people tend to be calmer, <laughs> a little bit more collected, yeah. a little bit more patient and willing to hear each other out. And, and, uh, also willing to say, okay, look, you want to baptize babies. <laughs> I don't baptize babies, but I love you <laughs> like a brother. All right, let's just there you go. <laughs> leave it like that. Let's go on. Or, um, that's just a. Just one, one maybe idea. We do have some very dear Presbyterian friends that are in our circles. That, oh, yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> but, it's uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, I was, re- I've been making my way back through the New Testament again, and I just mm-hmm. finished up Colossians yesterday. And, and so I pulled my Bible out while you were saying that. And he, you know, Paul commends the Colossians chapter three, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds together, uh, binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And I just keep thinking, as you said, when you have two brothers sitting down, listening, hearing each other out, understanding what that person is saying, not hearing so you can refute it right away, but hearing so you understand and then addressing that, that I think you're, you're accomplishing exactly what Paul says, showing meekness, humility, kindness, patience, compassion. You do that. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you're competing for internet likes and shares, you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to shut people down. You're trying to, you know, you. I can't possibly allow any sliver of that argument to have any possible acceptance because that means that what I've been promoting might be perceived as wrong and I can't allow for that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it promotes arrogance and pride 
is that if we don't have that right perspective, if what, why am I doing this? Why am I sharing this article? Why am I typing this up? Why am I doing this podcast? If I'm not doing it with the idea of glorify God, that is my, my final analysis should be to glorify God. If people can't look at what I've done and go, he's glorifying God. Mm hmm and pointing to Jesus Christ, then I haven't accomplished anything mm -hmm. because what I've done is, oh, wow, that guy's really passionate, which is a a, a, a misnomer for saying that guy is really angry and, and really and really wants to beat people up. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we substitute that, that for passion these days. But if that's my wrong perspective, if that's my perspective, then that's the wrong direction. And then I end up putting the wrong message out and so many of those people that have got into like the discernment blogosphere these days discernment has a fantastic place and there's some great uh, websites and 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 blogs and and podcasts to do great discernment all with the point of pointing you back to Christ and then there are some that we, they want you to point you back to their site so they can tell you who the bad guys are mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and so well, which one is honoring God? I would say it's the first type. Yeah. So that's you got to have that right perspective. Otherwise, you're going to chase numbers. And it's now. What do you think of this? Like, I see you, sometimes like people that will be uh, real good friends online, and um, they're, they're just good, solid brothers, and, mm -hmm. and just love seeing them, uh, you know, on a daily basis, and uh, not always. You're not always talking theology with each other. You're just like, you're just friends. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're like-minded. You know that when you're not talking about theology, at least you know that we're, we're close enough. We're brothers, whatnot. But, um, I, I see some of these great guys that will kind of get discouraged. Like they, they get, maybe they get drawn into too many of those fights sometimes, mm -hmm. or, um, they they see too much abuse of the social media platform and then they just want to throw up their hands and give up entirely. And <laughs> and uh, I know personally, sometimes I get really kind of discouraged myself and disappointed that like, oh, I've really enjoyed your friendship and I've really enjoyed your presence online. And 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 sometimes I'm wondering, well, why don't you just like unfollow that guy if you can't get along with him or or block him or or whatnot yeah. and and don't take it so seriously. And um we want to be honoring God in, in everything, but we also want to recognize that we're not perfected yet. We're going to mm -hmm. make mistakes. We're going to say things that are going to uh, come out wrong. And uh, maybe we need to apologize later for, and uh, we're going to put our foot in our mouths, you know, figuratively speaking sometimes. And you just need to kind of like any other part of life, we need to get on with it and just learn mm -hmm. from it and move on and, um, and enjoy it. But, I don't know. I get yeah. discouraged by those guys that just like they disappear and then sometimes they <laughs> sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. But well, you're almost talking about me in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> there, there have been many times where I, I've I've done exactly what you're saying, uh, you know, I not just observed it, but actually been the guy who's thrown up his hands and say, I quit. I, I You can't win. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, I think the perspective is. I, I use an, an obvious example. If you spend too much time watching Fox News, you think the world's coming to an end tomorrow, maybe yeah. today. And you, th you think everything that happens in Washington impacts your life right this second when in all likelihood, mo much of it won't. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so whether it's MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, whatever. And so you can if you indulge, uh, let that kind of be that overwhelming flood of information, you can you get this sense of. 
I'm the only one in the world has any clue what's going on and everybody's lost their mind. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to go live in the desert somewhere. <laughs> and it's you got to take a step back. You said earlier, we do kind of have a a small niche with because of our our, our beliefs uh, and, and, and trying to be as biblical as possible um, and being uh, as as close to what scripture teaches as possible. And so when you look at the broader spectrum of Christianity, most who profess Christ aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what is profess, uh, professing Christianity? So really, most of it is a smaller niche because I think the truth of the matter is that the true church, say, in America is much smaller than anybody would like to think. Mm-hmm. And so and then we're a smaller segment of that. So with what we are just seeing a sliver, a slice of what the rest of the world is is going out on the rest of the world. And if we only kind of live in that bubble, then it can seem like that's that's our whole existence. And, and, and you can just end up feeling like. Elijah going, I'm the only one left. And God's <laughs> tapping his foot and rubbing his temples going, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to ball. Stop it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so um, we have to take a step back and we have to look at what are we really looking at? You know, what what am I really seeing? Am I, is it really as bad as I, uh, I think it is? Or can I step back and, as you suggested, mute these people, block that person, unfollow this guy? And reclaim that territory for myself a little bit so I can yeah. interact with people, learn from people and grow and still have a voice. And I've had many brothers who have encouraged me, look, if you retreat from that battlefield, so to speak, then you give it over to the people that you think are the really the, the really rotten ones. And now they they dominate it. Yeah. And so the perspective is take a step back and realize that little sliver you're looking at, as bad as it looks, isn't the entire picture of what's going on out there. And God has put you in this one place with this little bit of responsibility that he has given you to do. You just be faithful with that. And I think it, once you start doing that, you start hitting, muting those keywords, muting those counts, blocking the ones that are really nasty. Mm -hmm. You, you suddenly can reclaim that territory back. And now you have an opportunity to be useful to God and to be blessed by others. Sometimes, uh, like, I, um, we talked about our kids a little bit, or you, you talked about your two kids and, um, and, and I'm learning as a parent, um, it's, you know, it's funny how <laughs> parents are teaching kids and then kids end up kind of teaching <laughs> their parents. And I think we talked about this a little bit before we started, but, um, a, a big thing that I'm going through with my son is learning when to be quiet, learning when to stop talking. <laughs> Because, you know, you did something wrong and now you want to justify it. Now you're getting in more trouble by trying to justify it. You're arguing with me and then, and then you're trying to argue with me about arguing with me. And, and, uh, and, and he's, he's 10 years old. He's going to be 11 soon. And I'm just, that's one thing I'm trying to teach him is sometimes, uh, it's best to just be quiet. There's a reason why in the legal sphere, they say you have a right to remain silent. there's a reason why we have a fifth amendment here in the United States, which protects against self-incrimination. And, um, and I'm, and I'm learning, uh, I've learned a lot online and I've, I think one area where I've grown personally and, and been pretty strong for a while, at least in my own mind is, is, uh, kind of knowing what, uh, battles to fight and what, what fights to pick. And that sometimes it's, the the easiest thing to do is when somebody says something you d- you disagree with, just let it go. Like you mm-hmm. don't have to refute them. You don't have to uh, argue with them. 
just let it go. And, and sometimes that actually in the end will make friendships stronger because you're not nitpicking over picadillos. You know, it's, um, for instance, I, I've got a dear brother, a friend of mine who lives in, uh, out East, I'll just say that, uh, we agree on so much, but, it, but, uh, politics lately have been kind of an issue for us. And right. I used to agree with him, but I'm kind of changing my mind on some more nuanced things with the politically he hasn't changed. He's still where I was and he does not like seeing me post things online about my new perspective on things. And, and I've posted some things and, and I, I just realized, Hey, it's easier. I love him as a brother. I really do. I don't want to fight with him. So if he takes issue with something, I'm just finding it's easier. Just let it go. We can talk about things we we agree on and stuff. And, and that's just a, a one example I, I've had. It happens all the time. And sometimes that's the best thing. And I, I was thinking as you're talking about, like, as we're talking about this issue, I think one, I don't want to cut you off. So um, no, no. one thing that, that I think that we could use uh, one issue to kind of train our minds on other issues is um, I keep seeing this uh, this fight come up, and it's been coming up for probably a year or more, and that is pineapple on pizza, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah. It doesn't go more than a couple weeks, and somebody brings up pineapple on pizza, right? And people are passionate about it, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> but are we ending friendships over people's position on whether you put pineapple on pizza or not. I think most people are pretty much having fun with the fact that we have strong yeah. disagreements and uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a game. It's not like we like to needle each other about it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm on the no pineapple side. Yes. <laughs> and uh, well, you and I have a lot of similarities. We're both anti-coffee too, but um, yes. <laughs> I'm on the no pineapple side and I'm, I'll fight tooth and nail on, uh, on pineapple does not belong on pizza, but it, it, that's a fun argument. I think people should, should learn from that, especially in the circles that we run in that like, we're not going to, anathematize each other literally i mean we joke about anathematizing each other but yeah. we're not literally anathematizing each other over whether or not you put fruit on a pizza and but there's so many other subjects where you can be just as passionate and we can have just as heated debates but have fun with it too and not uh not be so serious and not be so harsh on each other you know things that are not primary doctrinal issues yeah, that's kind of a drum that I've tried to beat for a while, and and sometimes it feels like it's a little bit of a hollow beat. But um, <clears throat> when it comes down to it, I mean, the Bible does not say anywhere in here, "Thou shalt not vote Democrat," "Thou shalt not vote GOP," whatever. Mm -hmm. It does give us what God expects of a person who professes to be a Christian, how we should live and how we should interact with the world. And from those biblical principles, we may, we're going to make decisions. So, for example, the discussion you guys you were having uh, with regards to politics, one of the biggest problems that I've been seeing uh, in recent years is that a lot of Christians, because our morality, at least for a time, it's not doesn't seem to be that way so much anymore. But for a time, aligned a lot more with the GOP. Uh, we we were a, a wing of the Republican Party, and so as the Democrats went more left, we entrenched ourselves into this political party. And now, 
you can almost hear people anathematizing you if you say, I can't vote for that GOP candidate because of this, yeah. that, or the other thing. We saw that in the last election. Mm -hmm. um, there were some of us, like myself, I, I've said it many times, and, and I'll continue to say it. I did not vote for, for Donald Trump. Now, as neither, president, neither has I. he done... Yeah. And as president, has he done things that I was surprised that he actually helped to? Yeah, I'll be mm -hmm. honest. He's he surprised me. But at the same time, there are still sides of him that I don't feel um, honor God. I feel they're immoral. And I think that uh, the way he speaks to people is problematic. And mm -hmm. so I, I can see both sides of that argument. And so it's like, here's where I'm going to stand. And Yet there were Christians who said, how dare you not vote for him? You're voting. You're essentially that, voting for this evil, shrew Hillary. And it's like, that's right. not what it is. That drove and me too. so crazy. That, oh, yeah. I mean, it just absolutely bonkers. And I was I wasn't a, a never Trumper in the election. I didn't vote mm -hmm. for him. And there were there were a few reasons. Some reasons were probably the same reasons you didn't vote for him. Right. But other reasons are I live in a state that was virtually guaranteed to go Democrat and right. the, and the way our system works for those, especially for those listening who aren't in the United States is that each state votes for a president. And then each state is allotted so many votes towards the final vote for president, Minnesota, where I live has 10 votes for president. So whoever gets the most votes in Minnesota gets 10 electoral college votes. Uh, and, and that's who decides who goes, gets to be president. Now, so uh, Minnesota has gone, I, you know, I've lived here my whole life and Minnesota has gone to the Democratic presidential candidate every year, every cycle since 1972. The last time Minnesota went to a Republican was Richard Nixon in 1972. And even in 1984, when Ronald Reagan was running for reelection and he had that landslide victory, Ronald Reagan... I think was just trying to be a nice guy and let Malter Mondale have his home state. <laughs> <laughs> and so Minnesota and Washington, D.C. went to Walter Mondale and every other part of the country went to Ronald Reagan. But um, so that factors in my thinking. And I, and, 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 uh, and I bring it up for, for foreign listeners, but there are, I would say most American listeners don't think about the Electoral College when they vote at all. They no. think that, well, I have to vote this way because there's really only two people that have a shot. It's either the Democrat or the Republican. If I don't vote Republican, I'm kind of doing a backdoor vote for the Democrat. But, right. and, and I kept saying this during the election, like, you have to keep this in mind. Okay. Now, I feel like I can be lazy because I'm in Minnesota, so I can vote my conscience. I can go for that Constitution Party guy or I can go for, you know, any, any third party guy that doesn't have a chance. I can vote for him just to make a statement. Mm -hmm. Now, if I lived in Ohio or Florida or uh, this year showed us that uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan are, are you know, kind of closer than we thought, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't be so cavalier about it because mm -hmm. maybe my vote does matter. Because if my state, if my vote flips my state and my state flips the Electoral College, you know, that could be a big thing. Mm -hmm. Being in Minnesota, I'm not in that situation. So... I had a lot of arguments with people about that. I, I didn't vote Trump. And, and that's one area where, um, you know, my mind is changing. You, you mentioned like seeing being pleasantly surprised with some of the things that he's doing a little frustrated that other things aren't happening quite as fast as we'd like and whatnot. And that's just kind of mm -hmm. the nature of, of politics anywhere, but especially in America, we've got a system we got to work in. And um, it's not something I want to fight with. And I don't, 
I, it really drove me crazy in, in November, you know, October 2016, as we're getting ready to vote, seeing that amongst people that I would call brothers that mm-hmm. were very passionate, like, you cannot vote for Donald Trump or you must vote for Donald Trump. And, right. And both sides just drove me crazy. <laughs> like, let well, each, and- like, let each develop their own view on their own, you know, use their conscience to vote the way they should, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, that's why, that's why I said, you know, when we look at scripture, it's, it doesn't tell me I must vote for this type of candidate or that type of candidate, because it doesn't talk about voting, but it talks Mm -hmm. about what are the, what are the works of the flesh and what are the works of this and then what's the fruit of the spirit and what are the things that God approves of and what are the things that God calls sin. And those are the things that I should be looking at when I make any kind of decision. And the thing that bothers me when you staying on the political part of this when it comes to politics is we've become so entrenched in our thinking that one of the reasons that people were so adamant uh, that you had to vote for Trump was, for example, religious liberty. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, if you vote for, if you don't vote for Trump, you're going to vote for uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and she's going to persecute people and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hold on a second. You know, you're thinking as an American first, not as a Christian first, because what yeah. is the birthright of every Christian? All those who choose to, all those who seek to live godly, will face persecution. So in America, we we have a unique opportunity to have a voice, but in every other part of the world where uh, you don't have such a, a, a democratic republic, um, you have China, North Korea, Middle East, uh, uh, you know, uh, Muslim-controlled nations. There are people. That have learned had to learn to live without having any voice whatsoever, and learn to live with the constant threat of persecution. Yet have chosen to live godly because they have Jesus Christ, and they He is supreme, supreme to any government, to any uh, possible uh, face of persecution, any inconvenience mm-hmm. in their life, and so. That is that is their commitment, and they knowing that they face the potential. I mean, can you imagine being a, a Christian in Kim Jong Un's North Korea? You live th- with the threat daily of murder, per- <clears throat> imprisonment, torture because you profess Christ. Yeah, and so when a person like you or me or someone else says, "I have a conscience issue," and that conscience issue has to be my overriding factor, if I do something that violates my conscience and scripture makes it clear I'm sinning. So how can you come to me as a Christian and say, you yeah, must even violate if you do your the conscience. Right, even if you do the right thing, but your conscience tells you not to. Right. That's, that's I mean, still Paul, wrong. It, Paul said, you know, if you do, if you cause a person to violate their conscience, you're causing them to sin. Mm-hmm. So why even during an important election, if a person has a legitimate conscience issue, would you come uh, uh, across to them and assault them verbally and say, how dare you vote for this other person? It's one thing to want to sit down over a cup of coffee, which neither of you, uh, you or I would drink <laughs> hot chocolate, <laughs> and talk, right? yeah, hot chocolate, chai tea latte, something like that. And we would sit down and have a discussion and try to work through an issue. And maybe I don't still don't vote your way this election, but maybe by the next election, I've grown in my maturity. I've grown in in my thinking. And maybe now I can go, you know what? Maybe there isn't as big a conscience issue here as I thought. Mm -hmm. Maybe as I study scripture, I've learned more. Maybe I have more freedom than I thought to make a vote this way or that way. Why would that not be the the more important thing to do in the life of a Christian? Because to me, that's where we're growing and the body of Christ to act more like Christ, to think more like Christ, to, uh, you know, to 
live a life that's been in pursuit of righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> if if you're going to vote for that way, go for it. If your if your yeah. conscience allows you to do it, go for it. And if you see a, a brother in Christ who just can't do it because he's got a conscience issue, then let it my go. belief is that scripture mandates you have to let that person be guided by his conscience. Yeah. And what worries me is that we don't. These secondary issues, you know, because guess what? Well, Voting think, Republican like, doesn't make you a, a Christian. You, you talked about the sitting across the table having coffee or hot chocolate or chai tea latte or whatever it is you drink. <laughs> That's where this should happen is that you, if if that person's conscience leads them in a different direction, help them inform their conscience a little better. Yeah. Okay? But when it comes down to brass tacks, let their conscience go where their conscience goes. And I had several thoughts as you were talking there. You talked about foreign countries and stuff. And uh, just two months ago, I had a friend on uh, Mark Huffman who's running or he's works with a missionary organization, travels around the world and talks to people from all over the uh, the world. And one thing that I took out of that I thought was really interesting, and I've heard this before, was the the church in China. And how I, I've heard this many times that the, the church in China has said, don't pray for us. Uh, don't don't pray for persecution to end for us. You know, and that that's just like mm-hmm. it, 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 it doesn't make sense to our American Western minds. Why would you not want persecution to end? They don't want persecution to end because they see the church growing with the persecution. Mm-hmm. And we look around here in America and our persecution is so light, so mild, but what's happened into our church? It grow, If it's growing, it's much slower, right? Mm-hmm. So it may be shrinking. And, um, and, and so it's, it's so easy to have the wrong perspective on that regard, you know, that um, persecution sounds horrible and it is, but God works through it. And, and then, and, and then as far as like, the the voting, you know, another thing I think is really important, but a lot of people lose perspective on is that they will talk to you all day until the cows come home about the sovereignty of God and how they believe <laughs> so firmly in the sovereignty of God. But then they'll get down in the mud and swinging if you don't vote their way. Well, where's the sovereignty of God in that? I mean, God is yeah. sovereign. Whoever God ordains is going to be our nation's next leaders one way or another. Yeah. And it's, he, he does that. The vote is the means by which he does it, but he's in control. If Donald Trump wins or Hillary Clinton wins, or, or if we go overseas and, and, uh, you know, Justin, well, it's not overseas, but you go North of us, Justin <laughs> Trudeau becomes prime minister or Angela Merkel becomes chancellor of Germany or whatnot. God is sovereign in all of those things. And yeah, so, uh, don't take it so seriously. Pray. Pray that God give us the leaders we need, not the leaders we deserve, and inform your conscience and help inform the consciences of your friends and your family. But then let it go from there, from that point forward, just like we do as we're witnessing to unbelievers, you know, and and you know this real well. There's a certain point where you got to just realize that God is the one that's sovereign over somebody's salvation. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I can lead them to scriptures. I can walk them through uh, their their condition as sinners, show them their Savior, do everything the Bible commands us to do. But then I have to let God pick up and do the work from there. I can't, I can't save somebody. I just right. can't. 
and I have to recognize that God is sovereign. And if he's going to save them, they're going to be saved. There's just no question. If he's going to save them, they're going to be saved. And if they're going to be saved, it's going to be him that does it. I'm just playing a small part, doing what I'm told, doing what Mm -hmm. I'm commanded. And, um, and I think whether it's politics or it's evangelism or it's, uh, whatever part of life, just having that perspective and keeping in mind that God is sovereign and that he's working his will through us and through our, our condition, you know, we, yes, we're sinners. Yes. We're going to do things that we're not supposed to do, but he's still sovereign and he still works through it all. It's so freeing to recognize that, okay, I just have to do what God commands. I don't have to force a certain outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think in so many ways, um, we have, we have our heads right theologically. It's learning to apply that practically that can so often be difficult. Mm -hmm. And when we fail to do that, then those things that we're passionate about can fall out of balance. And so you talked about evangelism. When I first learned about a, a, a more biblical form of evangelism, thanks to people like Ray Comfort, um, I couldn't understand. You know, now that I had come to this understanding, how did not everybody get it? And so evangelism became a passion for me, and I began to view other Christians through the lens of, well, if you're not doing this, something's wrong with you. Are you even saved? Or you know, is this truly even a church? And I got out of balance, and many people did. And in mm-hmm. fact, we see, you know, all you have to do is go online and look for these street uh, street creatures and you know, <laughs> yeah. fire and brimstone, uh, you know. Uh, cursors who think that they're doing something good for the Lord when they've divorced themselves from the local church. They have no authority over them. They have no one who can call them into uh, into account for their behavior, the words that they use. And that's a result of not having that proper perspective. Mm-hmm. That evangelism is important. It's commanded of me by God. But guess what? God didn't strike me with a lightning bolt for the first 30 years of my life where I wasn't doing that right. And then he comes along and graciously builds me uh, up and, and, and strengthens me in, in knowledge and wisdom and matures me. And then one day shows me what biblical evangelism should look like. So why is it that I now expect everybody else to be as, you know, suddenly wise as I was? Right. Or, or, you yeah. know, when I, I am when I wasn't that wise five minutes ago. Yep. Um, and that's where the problem lies is that we, if, if we don't take the not only learn theology and doctrine for our head, but apply it to our heart and take in – if God is sovereign over this situation, then no matter how bad or how good it is in my eyes, it's all for God's glory and for my ultimate good. No matter how bad that situation may be. God is sovereign over it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do what he's commanded me to do. I'm going to go to the scriptures. I'm going to learn. I'm going to apply. I'm going to make my decisions however I should. And I'm going to encourage others to do the same. But then ultimately it's in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that's the whole point of you know what we're talking about is, is looking at it from a biblical perspective. And if we don't apply a biblical perspective in every aspect of our lives, something's going to go out of balance. Yep. And we will. We're going to falter. But then the recognition is when we falter and we mess up— we need to repent and, and pull ourselves back in. So, yeah. And you were, you were describing that. And I was, the, I was thinking about how um, you're familiar with the cage stage of Calvinism. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, oh, there, yeah. there's almost a cage stage of evangelism too, right? There is. There is. Where, I, I think that's anytime you find someone who's gotten into a has discovered what the Bible really says about something. Uh-huh. There's that, there's that danger of, of falling into that cage stage. And in case anybody doesn't know, I, I think you and I both know this. Uh, Dr. James White has characterized the cage stage as being that period of time when you came into truly biblical, true biblical knowledge about something and you belong in a cage for about a year. So you don't <laughs> hurt yourself or others. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's, it, it seems like when we find something and we discover it and God opens our eyes, we get so excited and then we look around at everybody who looks at us like we've grown a third head and we go, yep. how do you not get this? And we want to smack everybody with our Bibles and say, get on the program. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Well, and then uh, another thought on evangelism side is, uh, you know, what what does the Bible say about evangelism? Exactly. What does it command us to do? Well, we're to go and make disciples of every nation. OK. And does so, that, but that, does that say you do it? on a soapbox on a busy street corner with amplification. Does it say that we have to do it that way? No, it doesn't say it that way. And that's one of the things that I love is. Does it say you got to do it by passing out tracks when you're at a a sporting event? Nope. Doesn't say you have to do it that way either. Right. That's the, that's the amazing thing is that I, I, I think is there anything first, wrong with those things that I just said? No, that's the thing. That's the beauty of having, (laughs) you know, having, a Bible that's not okay. The Quran says you says do this, do that, do this, do that, and it has a specified way, and that's why so much of what is in Islam is they're still rooted in you know the, the third seventh century, century or whatever. Yep. But the Bible, God, he, there are do, there are do this and do that's that He gives us in terms of His commandments. But there's so right. much that God did in in His wisdom that gives us so much freedom to use the gifts and callings that He's given us in, in a variety of ways that it doesn't have to be one way or the other. And within evangelism, there was a period of time, and I and I, I think we finally are growing out of that to some extent. That it was like you talked about being on a on a soapbox with uh, with amplification. Street preaching was considered like the penultimate version of uh, of evangelism, and I, there are people that still think that way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you weren't really an evangelist if you weren't on a street corner with a megaphone taking people through the good person test. Yep. If you only handed out tracks. Well, yeah, yeah, you're kind of evangelizing, but you know, you really need to be out on the weekends on the street. I, I, I still remember, and it sticks to me. It's the the perfect example that runs through my head every time I think of this. When early on, and I was involved in evangelism, I remember seeing somebody post on Facebook, "Why would anybody be doing a garage sale at their home on the weekend when there are souls out there going to hell?" Well, you don't know what the reason is for that garage sale. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need to pay bills. Maybe they, they've determined that there's so much of what they have in their home that they've idolized that they need to get rid of it. And they, they, they've made a commitment that a certain amount is going to go to paying bills and a certain amount is going to go in the bank and a certain amount is going to go to God. Mm-hmm. You don't know the reasoning. You just assume that they are less Christian than you because they made a commitment to do something and they were sticking with it. Yep. And so there was, there's been this mindset that you had to do evangelism in a certain way. You had this box. There were these, there was these types of gospel tracts. There was this type of uh, good person test to give. There's this type of street preaching, this type of outreach. These are the things you have to do. And I remember. Well, here's a question I, for you. I, go ahead. Um, what, what led up to your own salvation? <laughs> you know, this is what's, this is what cracks me up every time I have to tell it. 
we all hate Christian fads because they're these terrible things that, you know, get everybody's attention and create so many false converts. But the Christian fad that got me was the Left Behind book series. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> what happened was I had grown up. I had gone to church as a kid. Um I'm sure I probably made a profession of faith. I don't recall. I seem to remember getting baptized at one point. Uh, I went to the, you know, when I was a teenager, I went to the Catholic church that my father went to and uh, went through confirmation and all that. And uh, by the end of it, I, you know, when I went to college, I'm like, you know, nobody's got it right, which was very arrogant to presume yeah. that I could say to God that, you know, he didn't tell anybody how to do it right. And so I. I had a basic knowledge of who Jesus was. I knew what he had done. I knew that he had died for my sins, but you know, that was, that was all I knew. It was a fictional account, uh, done looking back really poorly (laughs) of of what, uh, and, 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 and for just for clarity, I, I am a premillennialist. I believe in the rapture, et cetera, but I'm not hanging my hat on it. Like that's heresy. If you don't agree with me and I sure hope people, it probably have already, I'm sure there's people who have already called me a heretic now for believing in premillennialism, but um, well, there it's not you. where I hang my. We're, we're, <laughs> we're uber, we're, you and I are uber heretics because we're premillennial. Uh, we don't put pineapple on our pizza and we don't drink coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're pretty much out of the club, man, I tell you. Um, but, <laughs> but it was, I was a huge fiction reader. And I remember members of my family were reading this book. And they were talking about it at dinner. I had no idea what they were discussing. I was neck deep in my sinful uh, pursuits. But I walk into uh, – it was Borders Bookstore or something like that back in the day. And Walden Books, that's what it was, Walden Books, all those those – That's even older, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they haven't been around a long time. But I walk in and apparently the newest – book in the series had come out. And so the first book was like on sale in paperback form. I'm like, oh, that's the book they were talking about. I walked up, grabbed it, walked up, bought it, went home. And what got my attention was that there was a character in the book who was a youth pastor, who had been a youth pastor, and he had an addiction to porn, and he was living a sinful lifestyle. And he was living in such a way as it was absolutely clear this was a man who did not believe what he professed. Mm-hmm. And so when the rapture comes, he's left behind. But it, there was something about him and the fact that he was living the way he was living that I identified with. And it terrified me, mm-hmm. utterly terrified me, because I recognized at that point there was judgment coming. I didn't understand you know, all the, the ins and outs of what Bible had to say about these things. Yep. But what I did know is Christ was one very, day going to come. Very similar story. And because yeah. I was saved through eschatology too, not necessarily left behind. I, I ended up reading them kind of after I was saved, but I was saved much the same way. Uh, seeing um, you know, the eschatology that Christ is coming back and realizing that if he does, I'm in trouble. And, but I guess why I brought the question up is like, as you're reading that, as you're realizing that, that you're going to be in trouble, um, what like in my own life i all of a sudden i was 21 at the time and all of a sudden i had all these flashbacks from my whole life like everything i'd learned even in that horrible like theologically shallow poor evangelical lutheran churches that i went to um i'm all of a sudden flashing back and realizing that there were little nuggets of truth of god's word like sprinkled throughout my my upbringing and all of a sudden it made sense to me. Like, you know, you talked about uh, the evangelism and when you go out and do tracks, like giving people the biblical uh, 
method of evangelism, walk them through their sins, show them their need of a savior, then give them the savior. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit did for me in an informal mm-hmm. way was like all of a sudden I see Christ is coming back and he's the, the Holy Spirit's showing me through these flashbacks, through the whole process of my first 21 years of life, this is why you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it clicked with me. That's what, that's why they say Jesus died for our sins. Now I understand, like I'd been taught that my whole life, Jesus died for our sins, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how, like, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean by he died for our sins? Now it makes sense. He paid my price. He, he did that in my place. I deserved that. And he did it for me. But the reason why I brought up the question and I wanted to kind of lead through this discussion was going back to that whole, like, what is like God's sovereignty and salvation and our command to make disciples, like how many people get saved because one person came into their life and told them, this is what the Bible says. This is where your condition is. This is your savior. Now you need to believe you need to repent and, um, and you need to follow Christ. And, and, and I would contend that it's probably not very many people that are saved because of one person, one evangelist, one person that's, that's sharing the the gospel with them. The Holy spirit uses situations throughout someone's life so that when he's ready, he turns the light on in the person's mind and says, this is your condition. This is where it all came about. And, and, and so I'm going back to that sovereignty of God, like we're commanded to preach the gospel, but you know what, as you're out handing out tracks or you're standing on the soapbox with amplification or, or you're just talking to a coworker at the water cooler, whatever it might be, you have to trust that, that one, you know, you're, you're, you're obeying God and you're doing what he said, and he's going to use that, but he might not not and probably won't be using it exactly the way you want him to use it or you hope he uses it It might be 10 or 15 or 20 years later that somebody all of a sudden remembers hey i had this discussion with officer honholtz at the water cooler about um about sin and now it makes sense and who knows you might not you you might have been out of their life for for 15 years before that light clicks but uh Well, and and stop, when we stop and think about it, you know, each one of us plays the part that God has given us. Mm-hmm. You know, might there be people who have been they heard the gospel once they repented and saved? Absolutely. You know, we, oh, yeah. we don't know who those people are. That's that's in God's estimation. But you know what? You know, Paul writes in First Corinthians three. You know, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos waters, but God gave the growth. Mm-hmm. You know. It's, it you know you and I we had those sprinklings so to speak and forgive the <laughs> forgive the sprinkling it's not a baptism debate um, <laughs> but you know we had those little bits and pieces uh, given to us throughout our life and then God brings us to this moment whether it's through a book or whether it's to somebody talking about end times or whether it's somebody hands you a gospel track God has worked where he wants you to be, when he wants you to be at a certain place, at a certain time. And then when you hear it, 
the Holy Spirit does the work. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, what, what I always find so amazing when we're talking about the issue of, of God's sovereignty and salvation is when people who are synergistic in their belief system, who think it is about us presenting the right message so the person will be moved in such a way to that's make a, a decision. That's a burden I don't want to bear. <laughs> right. It, it, it's a... It, it's only they say, well, you know, God just flips a switch in your uh, uh, soteriology. God flips a switch and just makes a person a Christian without uh, without their uh, will to do so. And it's like, wait a second, stop and think for a second. What if God is truly sovereign in salvation? What do you think he's been doing their entire life? Just letting them bumble around in the dark until one day he shines a bright light in their face? Mm-hmm. Or did has he orchestrated their entire life to a specific place in time that when they are hit with the truth of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit has opened, has has tilled the ground of their heart, the seed oh. is planted and it, and it grows. And I believe that's what it is. It yep. is God doing the work. And so when we get into these you know, these uh, uh, cage stage thinking, it's again, it's a, it's a failure to rightly apply what we believe about something because there are, as, as much as I hate to say it, there are those of us who fall within the, you know, uh, monergist camp that almost sound hi- uh, hyper Calvinist because we're so determined to, to, uh, to, point to God's sovereignty that we're not taking, we're not making that explanation about God's sovereignty throughout working throughout the person's life mm-hmm. and, and, and bringing them to this point. No, it's God who saves. And it's in that moment, in that time, I get that we want to make the case, but how, how do we disciple a person to help them understand? Well, let's take, you know, let's take them through that. Okay. Let me ask you, how did you get saved? Well, I, I chose Jesus. Why? And start walking them through. This is what the Bible says God did with you. That God, you know, that this person planted, this person watered, God gave the increase. So now we can can disciple them in that. Like in my own salvation over that 21 years, God even used people that if I had to, if, if I had to be a betting guy and I had to to say, it's not my place. But if I had to say, I would say that he used people who were not saved themselves to get what I needed to, to get to repentance. To the point where he finally changed my heart. And I am monergistic entirely, but um, he, it's a process. It's, you know, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't just shine a spotlight one day and all of a sudden you're saved. And, and then on top of that, I was, I didn't know it at the time. I was a synergist for five, six, seven Mm -hmm. years after that. It took a while before that. And I have always said I was saved when I understood the nature of my sin and the nature of my savior and, and, uh, what my duty to God was and in repentance and faith. That's when I got saved. It wasn't eight years later when I realized that God did it all. You know, there was a time there for you know, six to eight years where I thought I had a little bit of a say in it, that I did make the right choice. And I don't consider myself to have been unsaved in there in that point in time. So that's another thing I think people lose perspective is and, 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 and get into that cage stage um, that we make secondary doctrines, primary doctrines. And yeah, I, I think that there are people who take synergism to a heretical level that, uh, you know, they're, they're not saved because of, uh, how far they push their synergism, they they start to damage both the person and work of Christ. And uh, but I, I don't think your average person is uh, unsaved because they have a, a mild form of synergism. 
Well, and I think that's the sad part about it is that when we get into that cage stage type of thinking, we can we can treat people as if you're not saved if you don't have the right theology. We've added a, a sixth sola, sola theologica, where it's like yeah. you have to have the, the total some knowledge of theology like I do. And that and, and, that, and I've actually seen people online do this. Yeah. You know, I you know, you're not saved if you're if you're if, uh, if you're a synergist. Well, wait a minute. OK, when I was saved in September of 2000, I didn't have a clue what monergism or synergism was. All I knew is I was a sinner. Jesus was going to come back in judgment. And the only hope I had was his work on the cross. Are you telling me that that I wasn't saved until 10 years later when I finally learned and, and, and turned to, to, to monergism as, as how and people have, you know, they'll still tell you, yes, yeah. that's when you were saved. And it's like, dude, no. <laughs> you know, that is, that is such stage. a narrow perspective of what that theology is about. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's terrifying because you get, you get such a laser fine point that if people do not agree with you on every single issue i get it there are there are absolute core issues if you deny the deity of your christ and yet you try to claim to be a christian there's a problem yeah if you deny the trinity if you deny that it's grace alone through faith alone in jesus christ alone those are core doctrinal issues but even then Take a person who's never heard these issues. God tilled the ground of their heart, exposed them to the gospel. And the first church they go to is Aunt Bertha's Unitarian Church. And they and they deny and over there they're denying the Trinity. And that person, it takes them years before somebody comes along and shows them in the Bible that God is triune. Are you telling me that person wasn't saved? I don't think so. I think that person was ignorant and God you know, you know, graciously bore with their ignorance until such a time as it was explained to them. Now, if they had to explain to them and it was made clear to them and then they reject it, now you got a problem. Yep. But we've had we have such a, a laser fine thinking when it comes to theology that it has to it have to be the the some knowledge of our theology has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then I can call into question your well, faith. That's, that's because just a scary place know, to be because it. it, it, it you're going to be hard for us to find many people who will it will state that my theology is perfect. Yeah. Every one of us are going to at least leave room that there's something we've got to be wrong on. Mm-hmm. And we see our own growth up to the point where we are. And we realized, Hey, I used to believe things that I don't believe anymore. That means that I could still believe something that I won't believe 10 years from now. My theology is growing and their theology is growing. And, um, and I th- I'm of the mind that when we finally get to glory, there's going to be a lot of surprises. And I think on one hand, we're going to not see people that we thought we would see. We're going to find out that people we, we thought were converts were actually false converts. But I think there are also are going to be people that we thought their theology was so, sh- so diluted, so watered down. I didn't think he possibly could be saved, but they're going to yeah. be there with us to God's glory and uh, who those people are. I don't know if I knew I would go try to help their theology, but. um, Well, and I think that's, that's where the proper perspective lies is recognizing only God has that knowledge of who's saved and who's not. Mm-hmm. And I, there's such a huge temptation. We, we, we've seen it. We've seen what happens when bad theology dominates the, the church culture. Yeah. And we got, we have, you know, uh, 
TBN heretics that are being accepted around the world, and and which we want to see that put to put it, uh, to death. We, the new apostolic reformation grows more and more every day. We'd love to see that gone. Yeah. We see the Joel Osteens and the and the Stephen Furtick's of the uh, of the world uh, growing and and gaining uh, notoriety, and we'd love to see that come to an end. And so we see that what happens when bad theology is promoted, and I, and we want to be staunch defenders of the truth. And I get that. I, I we absolutely should, but there has to be a certain amount of patience in which God worked through all of us. You know, he, he is, as you said, we're growing in our stand, understanding of the Bible. It's not like I can read this one time, you know, read the scriptures one time and have the total sum knowledge that I need. I, I need to constantly be studying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here, there, here a little, there a little, you know, precept, line upon line, precept upon precept. I, I need to be constantly studying the word of God because that's what keeps me plugged in and that's what keeps me growing in Christ and that's where the Holy Spirit is exposing my sins and exposing my poor thinking and if he's doing that with me then how can I dare say that someone else who's shallow in their theology isn't in Christ I I need to be if if I'm really concerned about it instead of lobbing firebombs I need to be getting involved in and in building up the body of Christ. And mm-hmm. I think I see a lot more firebombs sometimes than I do see <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, the hard work of discipleship. Yeah. Well, Chris, um, we're, uh, we're, we're safely over an hour for sure. So <laughs> I think it's been a good discussion and I could probably go at least as long into the future as we've already gone into this. Uh, it's, it, it, there's so much that we could talk about, but, uh, and it's fun. It's been a it fun, uh, yes. informal, just informal conversation too. So, but I will, uh, I think we'll have to wrap it up and I know you've got places to go later today and, um, let's go back. I want to circle back to the very beginning and, um, your, your podcast. I had mentioned at one point that I enjoy, uh, helping others and getting word out about other people's shows and ministries and stuff like-minded. And so I want people to know where to find voice of reason and, and what you're doing online too. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, the easiest place to find us is our website, which is slave to the com, And from there, you can find links to the, the, the podcast itself, uh, voice of reason radio. It is on iTunes. Uh, it's on podbean.com. If you have a podbean app, you can just follow us and download it that way. Uh, the RSS feed link is in there. So if you, uh, have an Android device and you use some other kind of podcasting app, you can get the link and just drop it straight in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do how yeah. long and how often? Uh, we try to do it once a week, uh, typically on Fridays. It's usually about an hour long program, typically. Um, you know, like the, we were going to do it last night, but Rich has uh, had some stuff come up that uh, he he had to take care of. So mm-hmm. uh, next show is, right now is scheduled for the this coming Monday. Okay. Um, and so today being Saturday, uh, what, what are we at now? This is the 17th, 17th 19th. So 19th, I think, is what we're probably looking for, which should be the next program. Uh, you can also play the program right there on the website, slave to the king.com. You can find uh, on Facebook under Voice of Reason Radio or on Twitter. Uh, it's at V O R underscore radio underscores that little underline dash. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find it on there as well. And uh, we, you know, and if anybody ever had questions or uh, 
show suggestions, we have a uh, Gmail account. At, at It's uh, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. And so that's where you can uh, find all our programs. Uh, we, I'm trying to get back into doing some blog articles. Um, it's always been, you know, it used to be something I did a lot of, but I've been a bit more selective about what I write and, and post these days because I want to be a little bit more thorough in, in what I'm writing. So this, the articles are coming a little bit more slowly, but we're still trying to do the uh, the shows as often as possible. And so we, we just, you know, would love to, to if you, you know, folks want to hear it, check us out and, you know, guaranteed, you know, for at least, you know, a few, few minutes at the beginning of the show, we'll make you chuckle because we pick on each other and then, um, uh-oh. Funny. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, it's funny. My <laughs> thing went, it said, oops, we detected a problem. Please restart <laughs> Skype. But so you were just, uh, I think you just talked about how people email you and stuff, but voice of reason radio. I will, um, I think uh, my, I think the show notes for this one are going to be, um, not quite as in depth as normal sure, just no because, problem. uh, we've been much less formal and whatnot, but, um, I will put it in there also how to find your show. So if, okay. if, if anybody was listening and didn't quite catch what Chris said, um, echozoe.com slash one one nine, cause this is episode one nineteen, and I'll have links in there too. So, um, you can go there too to find Chris and I'd recommend it. It's he's, uh, I don't get to listen to other podcasts as much as I like. Um, cause I, am kind of more where your wife is and with the <laughs> kids all the time. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, that's, 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 I, I kind of sometimes wish I had a quiet desk job so I could just sit and listen to podcasts all day, but, uh, <laughs> but I like to catch you guys from time to time and, uh, um, you guys have a good chemistry, you and Richard. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're really blessed and, uh, we really enjoy it. And, uh, Rich keeps me on my toes. He, he keeps me, he, you know, if, if the program has any real, uh, staying power, it's because Rich is there doing a lot of work behind the scenes that I can't do. Mm-hmm. And, um, as much as I enjoy the talking and, 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 uh, being on programs like yours and stuff, there is no voice reason radio without Richard's story. He is, uh, he really is in so many ways, a backbone and heart of our program. Um, cool. and he keeps me grounded, which I am so grateful for. So, mm-hmm. uh, God, God blessed me by bringing him in there. And, and, uh, and, and he was the one that encouraged me to get back into this. So, uh, you know, you, you I am grateful for him in ways I can't explain. So, cool. uh, you know, but yeah, that, that chemistry is there because God has, has given me a fantastic partner in this program. Cool. Well, so. thanks, Chris. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate the, the discussion and, uh, your show and your ministry and your friendship online. And, uh, it's been, it's been quite a blessing to me. So thanks so much. Well, uh, you, you bless us and, uh, and we're grateful and, and I'm definitely grateful. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for letting us, uh, letting me come on. Echo Zoe radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others and your financial support. Echo Zori Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 119. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 119. 
Be sure to check out the website for links to connect to Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, or circle Echo Zoe Ministries. Also, don't forget to check out Echo Zoe Answers, the show that depends on your questions. So don't just tune in, send your questions as well. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with an April episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 